good morning, Sharon Wesleyan Church. Uh, it is really, really exciting to be here this morning. Thanks for letting us take over the service as the young adults, and uh, I'm included in that. Don't laugh. That's not funny. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, anyway, so at, at the next part of the service, we, we have um, a, a message that God has placed on Maddie and I's heart, but before we do, uh, we have a couple of things we want to talk about, like the envelopes in the lobby. Yes, if you miss the giant envelopes outside, um, they have different dollar amounts on them, and they are all going to help us go to passion. So if you are feeling prompted to give um, what is on that uh, envelope, or more or less, do whatever God has prompted you to do, um, and help us get 22 of us uh, young adults and college students to Atlanta, Georgia for passion. So something that I get the pleasure of now because I wouldn't let anybody else do it. Uh, he's already shaking his head because he knows what's coming. Um, so our goal, it, it was uh, well over $20,000 originally, but each one of the young adults at Fuse purchased their own ticket to Passion, uh, which is awesome. And so our goal now has, has dropped down to $18,000. Um, with that, uh, we have a goal to meet that in nine days, November 30th. Uh, because here's the incentive, and, and I'm not joking when I say this. This is a promise. This is a promise um, that if we raise all $18,000 by November 30th, on December 1st, Pastor Aaron, yours truly, will go to the barber and get a mullet cut on his head. Yep. But wait, there's more. But wait, there's more. There will be fuse written on the side of his head, and, and he will preach that way December 5th. Yeah. So we all want to see that happen, yeah. yeah. We want that to happen. So if Pastor Aaron comes up to the lobby and says all the money is due December 5th, that's a lie. It's November 30th. That's what we want to get to. That's the goal. And so uh, it, it's, it's uh, our pleasure to be able to bring the word to you this morning, um, something that God has placed on, on Maddie's heart and, and subsequently my heart. Uh, we just wanted to have an honest conversation this morning uh, about the importance of intergenerational relationships. Uh, and I've gotten really good at saying that, so I'm going to mess it up. Um, uh, what better Sunday to do that and to have those discussions and that talk than today on Fuse Sunday with, with young adults? And so uh, has, has everybody heard the term here, it takes a village? Has everybody heard that before? Uh, it, it's a term that I wasn't incredibly familiar with until I, I moved to Haiti and really started to understand it. But um, for those of you that know me know I like to tell stories. And so uh, there is a story of when we were uh, new parents, we had a young uh, Ainsley, um, I don't know how old she was, a couple years old at the time. Uh, we were at our church in Texas, at the Wesleyan Church there, and we were serving uh, the community. We had collected a bunch of clothes uh, that we were going to give away to the community uh, who were in need, potentially for kids, uh, for their starting school. And so we were in the midst of this, uh, this ministry on a Saturday. Uh, all of the, the young kids were in the back in the nursery, locked back there with the teenagers, watching them and helping us out. And it was really taking a village. Uh, it was a church family much like this on a, on a smaller scale, but it was our, it was our family. Uh, and it was taking a village to get this thing done. And so, uh, on the flip side of that, really, uh, at one point, I think it was either Pastor Aaron or, or somebody at that point came up to me and said, hey, there's a, there's a police officer outside asking for you. It's not a good sign. That's never a good sign, uh, especially when they're asking for me, because I'm like, I, well, I, maybe I killed somebody. And I you're at church and at the church. cops came? I'm at church. Wow. And so I go outside and I see this police officer, uh, and, and then sure enough, within five, ten seconds of talking to him, Three more cop cars come screaming up with their lights and sirens, and they jump out of the cars, and I'm like, I did kill somebody, <laughs> and I didn't even know it. And they said, is, is, uh, is your daughter Ainsley Stevens? And I said, 
Ainsley killed somebody. <laughs> okay, I'm off the hook. We're good. Uh, but no, apparently what had happened was when our village was serving the community, uh, the nursery door was open, um, and the teenagers were taking some of the kids to the bathroom, and the door that's always locked for security reasons in the back of the church happened to be open for some reason, moving clothes in and out. I don't know. And so Ainsley, uh, a couple years old, with her friend, decided they were going to walk out into a four-lane highway. Oh, um, my and so I was in trouble. Uh, it, it, anyways, it, it, everything was okay after I got yelled at for a few minutes. It was fine. Uh, but I realized that the it takes a village mentality is, is very vital and very important. Um, and, and so pushing on from that, we can look at other cultures. That's American culture, as well as uh, Haitian culture and African culture and uh, pretty much any other culture. It's just in different ways. I know in Haiti, when we live there, uh, a lot of the people there like to tell us what to do with our kids. And we got frustrated at first. We'd walk around with, with Piper on her hips, and Piper had no hair whatsoever, and, and they would say, you need to put a hat on that kid because she's white and she'll burn because the sun will get her. And we're like, we got this, and we, we get frustrated, and, and then we realized it was, a, it was a village mentality. It takes a village, and they were telling us out of help, out of uh, them loving us and loving our kids, and it took us a long time to get to that point, but that's what that meant. And so this leads us into the verse we're going to be looking at today. So if you have your Bibles, uh, turn to Luke. Uh, that's in the New Testament, a couple books in. Um, last half of the Bible, uh, Luke chapter 2, verse 41. Uh, you are welcome to use your phones or just follow along on the screen. What's happening is, is Mary and Joseph and, and uh, young preteen Jesus are on their way as they do every year to the festival of, of uh, uh, Passover in Jerusalem. So that's what we're going to pick up. So verse 41 starts, Every year Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the festival according to the custom. After the festival was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. But they were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. So uh, he, here, I think, the, <laughs> I think there's something important. to. Uh, I want everybody to make sure you hear this if you don't hear anything else. Me losing my kid for a couple of minutes on a highway was nothing compared to losing Jesus. <laughs> so I think I'm off the hook. There's so much pressure. There's so much pressure in babysitting Jesus. Uh, so anyways, yeah, I'm sorry, carry on. <laughs> so starting back up at verse 46, after three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Verse 49. Why were you searching for me, Jesus asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. So I have to admit with this... Um with this verse, uh, this passage, this story, I have always liked uh, the humanness of this story, uh, of Jesus, uh, of Mary and Joseph as the parents, of, of what it looks like, the human behavior, just the general humanness of the story is something that I always loved. I love that Jesus gets caught, he gets reprimanded. Um, I like that it's a window into his preteen years that we don't get a lot of in scripture. And so it's pretty awesome to, to be able to see a little bit of that. Uh, but as a parent, and, and I mean, I can't really I'm explaining this for you, because um, she's not allowed to have kids till she's 45. Where's Tony? Preach. I got you, buddy. Oh. 
Um, and, and so uh, it's, it's a win. Like parents, you're at the grocery store, right? And your kid's missing for 20 seconds because they're in the aisle over. You panic. Like you're like, where's my kid? Like she's gone, uh, been kidnapped or fell over or is eating dog food. Like my kid is somewhere. Uh, and there's a, a level of panic that sets in. That's, I mean, that's kind of the same as what happened in this story. And we see, um, I mean, it's a little bit different, I guess, in that they really did rely on the village mentality because they were gone for a day before they even realized Jesus was missing. That's a long time. I panic for 20 seconds if I don't see my kids in a store. I ran to the mailbox when I ran away, then I came back. That's true. I think that was last week that that happened. Uh, yeah, I guess it um, was. So we, we look at the story and we, and we see, man, Jesus was missing for a day because they relied so much on this village mentality and they had to travel back for a day and then search for him for a day. So essentially three days, Jesus was missing. That's a long time. That's a long time. And so uh, as Maddie and I uh, uh, prepped and prayed and prepared for uh, this sermon, we asked ourselves, what are we missing in the last 2,000 years between uh, the parenting of then and the parenting of, of now? Um, and so I think, uh, as I had kind of uh, touched a little bit before, I think um, there, in its most basic form, the cultural expectations of community is different from then to now. I, I think I, I think there are some similarities, and I think there's some things we can glean from it. Uh, I think there are also some things that we can uh, uh, learn what not to do, like go missing for a day. Um, but the village mentality, it shares responsibility in caring for and raising children, young adults, uh, because parenting is wonderful, uh, parenting is also very hard. Uh, and in do dominant American culture, it's typically not communal. Knowing what we know about uh, what this verse says and, and many of the, uh, the cultural things that we know of Jesus' time, uh, it's fair to say that, that they practice the village mentality. Uh, meaning, they recognize it was everybody's responsibility to care for each other, uh, no matter their age, uh, young or old or everything in between. Uh, we tend to put the sole responsibility of parenting these days uh, because of Hollywood and news and all those things solely on the parent. Uh, and I think that should change. Uh, we do a, a really good job, obviously, here at the church, um, but I think that should change. What would parenting look like? What would a community look like? Uh, what would caring for seniors look like? What would any relationship look like from a village mentality standpoint? How might children thrive? How might young adults thrive? How might middle-aged people thrive? How might elders thrive? How might the church thrive from a deeper village mentality. And I think this is where we as a church have an opportunity. Um, and I say this because the church is the only place where you can reach every age of every color. And any, if you look at any other business, any other 501c3, um, any other entity in the world, the church is the only place that can reach that many people and that much variety. And so here's the question we ask. Where else in society and this is a tongue, uh, a tongue twister. Where else in society are there regular opportunities for meaningful, non-familial, intergenerational relationships? Nailed it. Um, <laughs> so that's an important question because we have an opportunity that nobody else has here in the church. So we had a conversation a couple nights ago at Fuse at Dustin and Nancy's house uh, about what older generations sometimes think of us young, hip, cool kids. Oh, um, <laughs> they laughed this time. That's good. <laughs> So this is obviously a general assumption. This is not uh, targeted to anyone specific in the church. But the Fuse group tended to think that uh, older generations think that we're lazy, think that we're self-centered, think that we're distracted. Well, that and wasn't supposed to be funny. Yeah, you think that, I didn't ask to laugh on that point. Jeez, I see how it is. So at least in my experience, sometimes people don't think we actually know what we're talking about because we're younger or we dress kind of weird. Um, but
but we are kind of nice people. Uh, <laughs> they're laughing so much. <laughs> uh, we found statistically that these reasons and these stereotypes cause people and young people to leave the big C church, intimidation because of lack of discipleship and relationships to them. Young people need to be fed just as much as older generations do. Because of these assumptions mentioned earlier, they won't ever get plugged in, they won't ever create a co cohesive relationship within the church. And luckily here, as you can see today, SWC has a thriving college and young adult ministry. <laughs> and having gone to this church since I was literally in my mom's womb, uh, I have been impacted by so many of you sitting here today. So, so many of you encourage me, make me laugh, and always take the time to ask how I'm doing. And it really does mean a lot. So this last the, these last two years have had lots of limited amounts of social interactions. Um, these limited social interactions have negatively impacted Gen Z, my generation, and young adults in a specific way. Not being able to go to school, go to graduation, go to prom, and finish sports seasons, and experience these so-called best days of your life was absolutely terrible. We can probably all attest that that was rough. Um, Trust me, I know I was crowned homecoming queen in my kitchen. Uh, it was really sad. She won't let anybody forget she's queen, by the way. I mean, if the crown fits. Uh, um. <laughs> she's got to stop wearing the crown to church, we've told her. <laughs> so these limited social interactions and lack of community as a result of this pandemic have led to a decline in mental and physical health of young adults and college students across the country. According to a survey, more than half of students say that one of the greatest challenges they face the past 18 months includes loneliness or isolation at a staggering 58%. 58%, that's a lot. So not being able to see our friends, go to work, go to church, go to prom, do all of the things was rough. It was terrible if we're actually being honest. There are many days filled with frustration and anxiety about what was going to happen within the next days weeks, months, hours, and years. And I feel like that's still rooted in some of us sometimes. Yeah, I, th I think with that, and, and I, I interrupted several times with this, but uh, with, with Madison's, there's something she didn't know until we started studying for this sermon and what we're going to talk about in these relationships. Um, over in the beginning of COVID and the height of, of that going on, uh, during your senior year, uh, you were quarantined. I don't know if you had COVID, but you were quarantined at your house, and you couldn't go anywhere. Um, and, and there was a video that Pastor Gretchen, her mom, sent us, uh, a few of us, I think Pastor Aaron and myself. And it was a video uh, that, at the time, I was like, man, that's really sweet, it's really cute. Uh, but as we prepped for this and we read these statistics, I realized what that video was and what it meant. It was Maddie quarantined in her house with the electric guitar that the church gifted her for helping the church singing along with the online service. And I realize the impact that it does have on this generation, not because they're just saying it, uh, but because we saw it as well, whether we realize it or not, uh, the impact and the hurt and the loneliness that that caused for a lot of this generation and some of the days that should be the most uh, extroverted times and, and growing times, uh, they missed that. And so I, I, I have to say, watching that video back now wrecks me because of these statistics. So, there was a specific song during these times when I was home, and it was called Beautiful Things. Some of you might have heard it. Um, and there was a specific line that really resonated with me um, throughout these times of when I was 
filled with frustration and loneliness and all of those yucky feelings. So this is the specific line. All around, hope is springing up from this old ground. Out of chaos, life is being found in you. You make beautiful things out of dust. You make beautiful things out of us. So I can't help but wonder if we play a part in making these beautiful things by pouring into people and discipling them. We need people. We need our people. Some may think that we are self-centered. However, we love to talk. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> we true. love to hang out with people. We love to go to coffee. We love to talk to people, and we love to gain knowledge. So having these relationships are so crucial. Jesus even had friends. He had his people to this extent that he wept when they had died. But I think that's important in, in reading the scripture of the village mentality. We can also see time and time again what friendship looked like, what relationships look like, what intergenerational relationships look like. If we look at, at, at what Jesus, what is said in the scripture about when Lazarus passed away, I think we can glean what relationships are supposed to look like. Uh, and so if, if you have your Bibles, again, um, John chapter 11, verse 33, it says this, uh, when Jesus saw her sobbing and the Jews with her sobbing, uh, a deep anger welled up. Uh, In them. In them. Um, yes. Um, and, and so uh, he, he said, where did you put him? Um, Lord, come and see, they said. Now, Jesus wept. And, and this is the most important. We know the part where Jesus cried about Lazarus. And we'll talk about that here in a second. But uh, the next part, I think, is, is super telling um, and, and gives us good guidance for what relationships should look like. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. And that's important. So Jesus knew how important this relationship was with Lazarus. He knew that he, he knew without a shadow of a doubt that he was going to raise him from the dead. He knew that. But just the fact that he was gone broke Jesus' heart. What better way to see how important relationships are than to take Jesus' relationships as an example? So almost half of students say that their mental and emotional health has been harmed these past couple of years. Of the students experiencing these health declines, 71% attributed this to isolation lack of community, and lack of social interaction. So what do those three all have in common? People. People. We love people. These relationships are crucial to our health. John 11, verse 50 says, Jesus was about to die sacrificially for the nation, and not only for the nation, but so all of God's exile-scattered children might be gathered together into one people. So what do we do with these statistics? What does that mean? Well, that's a really good question you asked. I'm so glad you asked it. Um, <laughs> Let us answer it for you. <laughs> because we see a need for intergenerational relationships, especially in the church. So as we talk about intergenerational relationships and, and what that looks like, uh, you, you have to take a step back and really define what they are to be able to dive in them correctly. And so we, we look at the very basic definition of, of what they are. And, and as we described earlier, it's Christ-centered relationships, mentorships, friendships, whatever you want to call it. It's those relationships uh, with others of various ages. Um, they're generally marked by respect, responsibility, reciprocity, and resiliency. These family-type relationships in history with younger, middle, uh, older uh, generations tend to develop ways to support one another. And so with the definitions of intergenerational relationships, we have, we have come with four. 
four ways to define those relationships. The first one being intergenerational relationships are intentional. In, in Acts 16, Paul intentionally chose Timothy to travel with him on his journey so that he could help Timothy grow in his faith. And as Christ followers, talking about discipleship and what that looks like, we should prayerfully and, in, and intentionally uh, seek out finding others to, to pour into, um, to build them up in their faith. Older generations to younger generations, and younger generations to older generations. So our second point is intergenerational relationships are Bible-centered. Paul encouraged Timothy to continue learning from God's word so that he would be equipped to do good works. As followers of Jesus, we should encourage and equip one another by studying God's word daily, not just on Sundays, not just on Wednesdays, not just on Tuesdays, but every single day. So I think it's important here to, and I think I've made this statement before uh, to some of you, but if you, if you attend church and you never miss a Sunday, 52 weeks, right? 52 times a year for an hour of church. That's 52 hours in a year. There are over 8,700 hours in a year, and we're just scratching the surface with 52 hours. Uh, so it's, our, it's, our, it's supposed to be intentional and Bible-centered, but it's hard to be with just those 52 hours. We have to dive into the Word uh, via these relationships with each other between the Sundays. Um, so that leads us into the next point, that intergenerational relationships are accountable. Paul, again, if we go back to Paul and Timothy, he urged Timothy to be devoted and diligent in, uh, in the way he lived his life by telling him, watch your life and your doctrine very closely. It states in 1 Timothy chapter 4. As Christ followers, it's not enough to just know God's word. Uh, we must lovingly hold one another accountable to obey it. So our last point is intergenerational relationships are reproducible. Man, that's a tongue twister. <laughs> Uh, Paul challenged Timothy to teach other men the things that he had learned from Paul. That way he could eventually go on and teach others. As followers of Christ, we should build our relationships with that end in mind. Our goal is to not only make one disciple, but to make disciples who make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. So how do we do this? How do we see this in our community? How do we see this in our church, at work, at school? Well, first, you start with your heart. You have to be vulnerable to God to let him in to those parts where you are really uncomfortable, like, ah, I don't know how to disciple to anyone. I've never done that before. Well, let God help you with that. Let him mold you into the person that he wants you to be. Start to become comfortable with being uncomfortable. So a quote from C.S. Lewis says this, We are not meant to be alone. Genesis 2.18 tells us that it is not good for man to be alone. This statement has to do with God's design for humanity. He created us to be relational beings because he is a social God. Uh, in, the, in the last sermon series, most recently as a last sermon series, but we've said it all uh, uh, for years, the, the two simplest things we can do as Christ followers is to love God and love others. Uh, love God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Love others. Love other people. And so I think with that, you start with your heart, uh, but then you have to move to intentionality with that. If you're not intentional with your relationships and growing with others, it doesn't mean uh, it's easy, but you have to be intentional because sometimes it will be hard and sometimes you do have to step out of your comfort zone. Uh, you can definitely learn something uh, from somebody older and younger, and so uh, let them learn something from you as well. So how do we start these intergenerational relationships? We simply listen, not only what to people have to say, but what God is asking you to say. 
He is telling everyone something. You just have to be willing to listen to that specific something. Sometimes it might not be the something that you want to hear, but God knows that it is what you're supposed to hear. So as we wrap this up, we, we, okay, we started uh, in Luke, and, we, and we, we heard about Mary and Joseph and, and Jesus, and I, I think there's something to that. I don't think Mary and Joseph fully understood or fully grasped, but they were sp- responsible for the literal king of the world, the king of the universe. I don't think they fully grasped that. And I say that because, uh, and we'll, let me preface this, we don't have the next Jesus sitting in our congregation. I'll say that. Uh, but I will say with full confidence, uh, full authority standing here, full experience, uh, beyond a shadow of a doubt, uh, we have the next kingdom builders sitting right here right now, and they're just ready to be molded into big kingdom builders. Ethan's waving at me. It's important. Um, and, and so we talk about these statistics, and, and I know I heard some of you audibly gasp at some of the statistics that are staggering, um, and, and they're not fun. What do we do with those? We can change those. Uh, with these intergenerational relationships and intentionality, changing hearts and minds and souls and, and pointing people to Christ and getting pointed to Christ, we can change those statistics, make them null and void, and change the only statistic that matters, and that's the scope of eternity forever and what that percentage looks like through these relationships. So hear me out on this. As you can see from today, we have a group of young adults and college students who are on fire for Christ. We are so excited and we're just, we're still young, so we have a long way to go. And we are ready to build the kingdom of heaven in ways that no one could have even imagined. Pour into others, like as Jesus would have poured into you. So we'll leave you with one statement uh, as we close out uh, uh, this sermon. It doesn't take a village. It takes a church. That's our challenge. Father God, you are, you are a wonderful God. And, and thank you for the examples that we get time and time again in Scripture uh, of what relationships are, are supposed to be and how beautiful they can be and how helpful they can be. Um, God, I, I, I know here in our congregation, um, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that we do have a group of young adults that are the next kingdom builders in this world. Uh, this village, this church right here uh, can help, can guide, can mentor, can have friendships and relationships and, uh, and, and talk to them and pour into them and take them to coffee and, and vice versa. God, allow our hearts to be open to that. Allow our hearts to, to teach and to learn as well. Uh, God, because we know that's exactly what you call us to do. You call us to, to have these relationships and that's how uh, the scope of eternity does change. God, help us change that statistic. Uh, God, we give you this week and uh, convict us in, in a way that uh, starts these wonderful relationships that I have had the privilege to, to, to start as well. God, we love you and we give you all these things.